Hello and welcome to the Vet Space Ireland podcast with your hosts, myself, Michelle McGuire. And I'm Hazel Mullins. Uh, the production of this podcast episode is kindly sponsored by the buying group Vet Saved. If you are considering joining a group or would simply like further information, please get in contact with Michael and the details will be in our show notes below and on our website. Um, Michelle, you've experienced as a practice manager dealing with VetSafe, don't you? Yeah, I managed a practice that was a VetSafe member and I can definitely vouch for their efficiency and their ease of use. Um, I used to get one invoice, um, competitive buying prices despite being a small practice at the time and in fairness Michael was always on hand if I needed help sourcing products or if I ever had any issues but they were very efficient so I couldn't recommend them enough. Who have we got tonight Hazel? Wonderful. So on today's podcast we have none other than Martin Kavna, Dairy Herd Health Certificate Holder, Animal Health Consultant and Cow Signals Trainer at Cow Solutions. So sit back and enjoy, this is a good one. So hi Martin, how are you? And welcome to the Best Space Ireland podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? It's great, Hazel. I'm good. Hi Michelle. Hi. Uh, yeah, Martin. all good. Good. Um, we've been talking about having you on the podcast for a while, mm. and you came in and asked me to be on a podcast, and I said, "Well, Ka-ha. I'll be on your <laughs> podcast if you'll be on my podcast." So uh, that's how I nabbed you. <laughs> there you go. It's a uh, yeah. It's a bit of a trade-off. But, the, but yes, you, you have me now, so do, do your <laughs> most evil. <laughs> so look, we'll start off with the easy ones and tell us about your veterinary journey so far and where it all began. Yeah, look, I'll try and keep it a bit snappy. I, look, I, I'm, I'm sort of in the, the, the middle ages of veterinary, I suppose. Um, I, I left school in 1984. I went to Ag College for a year. I deferred veterinary actually at the time. So I spent a year in Gertie Knight College, which was great. I still have great friends from there. Um, and then I did veterinary for about a year. I gave it up. I went farming for a couple of years. Wow. I went back to it again. So I ended up in kind of two veterinary classes, I suppose. So I qualified in 93 then. Um, and I went straight into mixed practice down in Bagmanstown. I was there for about a year. And then I moved back to Tipperary uh, to the what, what was then the Badger Clinic, the Glen Veterinary Clinic. Uh, which had moved into the Prairie Town, and I knew the guys there 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 pretty well. So I kicked on with that, and I became a partner there in two thousands, and subsequently sold my partnership out of there in two thousand seven. And that practice goes on strength to strength. It was a good practice. Um, and since then, I have I worked with the Keenan Group as the veterinary director internationally for a little while i was very interested in nutrition and that kind of fell me i fell into that that's the, one of the reasons why i pulled out of practice at, at that time there was an opportunity and then from 2009 i set up my own company and i've worked as a a veterinary consultant and i say that real carefully because before we go any further <laughs> before we go any further i'm very that word consultant gives me the heebie-jeebies uh, the ick the ick I was just there's a word the ick that was just going to be my my next question what does a veterinary consultant or what does Martin Kavanagh the veterinary consultant do so I don't really define myself as that why okay uh the one thing about large animal veterinary say cow medicine let's call it cow medicine um it's it's difficult to become 
let's say, a recognized specialist within an Irish context. Uh, the, the guys in the college, like, like Owen and Catherine and so on, the people I'm leaving out, I'm sure, like Luke, um, who have the who have a European specialist cert, they are truly academic bovine specialists. Yeah. I am not qualified to that degree. I am a I am a vet surgeon who has yes, I, I have a lot of experience on farms, but academically it is difficult to call a veterinary consultant a consultant. So I kind of I worry about that phrase a little bit. The second thing I worry about it is consultants are associated with telling people to do things that they've never done themselves. And I think that can be a real a real challenge if you're going to express or give advice or advice on farm performance or animal performance you have to have experience and i do value that i spent 15 years in practice gaining veterinary practice experience and also in the last say 13 years what i would say gaining on farm system experience and that allows me to do what i do but will i call myself a consultant i will i'll be careful with that one and i think as a veterinary profession we need to be careful with that word should not be bandied about so easily yeah it's a good point i suppose consultancy consultant is maybe used in the business world more hmm. i suppose i get your point from a medical veterinary science uh, point of view maybe consultant is could be a difficult world however i guess in, in business you know the other side of veterinary which is which is what it is there's the medicine side and the business side consultants are pretty much anyone who advises you on something you know so Absolutely. Absolutely. so maybe yeah. maybe yeah. and you don't need any real specific uh, you know protect specific qualifications i guess to to de- call yourself that so maybe from your from your point of view maybe veterinary advisor is that, is that a safer yeah, word and I don't, yeah i don't know what the right word is and i think <laughs> i don't want to be disparaging about the word consultant either i think the i think you're absolutely right a consultant advises and and creates that space for people to maybe look at something in a completely different way and create a different conversation and that's what i do i think we probably need some new words it's like a lots of things that are going on at the moment in business and in work and in veterinary and so on oh, i think true. probably we need some new words to describe things you know we end up in a bit of a cul-de-sac when we're described in one way you know yeah so what do i do um <laughs> Yeah, so about, I suppose about 80, 85% of my work would involve dealing directly with corporate businesses. Okay. And I would have worked through, and, and very luckily when I did work with Keenan's, um, I was innocent and naive to the corporate world. I think as vets, we're very, we're isolated in our own area. We're very expert at our clinical medicine. We're very independent and we kind of get away with our own lives. But when you start integrating with other people and other disciplines and learning how sales work, marketing works, uh, business works, uh, and so on. I, I, I effectively ended up doing an MBA on the hoof. That's the way I describe it. And I learned a huge amount in that process. Um, so I spent up to maybe, how many years? Five or six years working quite a lot with the Keenan Group internationally between a, in a consultancy role as business sense and also, and also in a veterinary role. But um, And that meant that I, I had to work out how to how to advise people and how to engage with their systems. So I had to stand on a farm, be it in France, and make a relationship with that farm system to what I would have learned from in Ireland. And that meant I had to really broaden my scope and become much more of a generalist. And I had to deal with nutritionists, I had to deal with sales, I had to deal with business, I had to deal with farmers and all the different uh, people that, that operate on farms. 
And that was a huge learning experience. And that's, I think, where I, I try and bring the value, Michelle, to, to a farm or to a business is that generous appreciation, the ability to advise in a number of, of scenarios. But also, I think my job is to ask all the horrible questions that nobody wants to ask as against yeah. give all the advice. Yeah. You know, I generally find that most farmers and most business people have the solutions, but they just haven't had the right person to ask them what the right question is. Yeah. And I've seen you in action on farm, Martin, asking these questions at the cow signal courses that you give um, mm -hmm. because you're a certified cow signals um, teacher, would you say? Mm -hmm. Or uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you definitely have a, a very, I don't know, empathetic, but also to the point way about you. You know, you understand that there's difficulties, but then, you know, that you get to you get to the bottom of it as well and you try to make solutions. So maybe tell us more about the cow, cow signal size of your. Yeah, yeah, I kind of forgotten about that in one way. I think that was a real in 2009 when I was when I was flapping about looking for my place in the world. Um, I, I, I started to do a bit of work with you, Teresa, in Holland and Jan Holson, who writes the cow, cow signals book. So I went off and I did their cow signals master trainer course and and subsequent to that i spent a week with the two guys myself i just went over and i actually spent a week and we talked about that whole questioning thing how you how you um how you consult how you manage that scenario on farm where you can get information pretty quickly get the farmer to a point where they're willing to accept some change in behavior and then actually motivate them to a behavior change. And before I did that, I would have been very much of the veterinary type. Well, this is the, this is the problem. This is the solution, stupid. If you don't do it, you're wrong. And, and I'm going to show you the cost benefit of doing that. And if you don't believe that, then you're wrong. And you completely fail to communicate with people. So those guys helped me absolutely change all that. You totally turn around. Well, the economics are enormously important and we always look at that and, and all my systems are very profit-centric. Um, we completely turn the communication part on its head. And it, it, it's, it's a way of bringing people to an answer that they have come to themselves because it is the only obvious outcome. Yeah. And they bring everybody with them then. So I can leave a farm confidence in the notion that they've got us. It's up to them to implement it. I can't do that. What I must leave the farm knowing is they got. And they must have in the language that they appreciate, they understand, they believe, and they trust you to that point. So can you win trust in 10, 15 minutes? Can you find out the information you need in half an hour, an hour? And can you generate a result out of that within a half an hour, hour? And then that becomes a highly valued consultation process, which people have no issue with paying for. It's good. Getting buy-in, I suppose, is what you'd call it in sales. Yeah. <laughs> getting, getting them yeah. to buy in to, to the, the plan, the, the plan of action. The plan. And also it's, it's their plan. It's not yours. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't write. There's very distinctive ways of doing this. And I think there is one part where you go and analyze a problem. You write a big report and send it off and that's it. And definitely if we legal situations or something that we have to act as an expert witness or report on. That's the forensic level you get to when you write a report accordingly, which is designed for it. But in the normal run of events for farms, you must be able to take on the data on the farm quickly and easily, whatever the signals are, be it the farmer, the farm, the cows, whatever it is, 
take them on board and really turn that into, into three things to do today, three things to do in the next six months, three things to do in the next five years. And that's the limit of the report. If I have to write a full report for somebody, I, 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 I failed really in my process. Yeah. Uh, unless it's for a very, very specific reason. Um, so they should have got it before you left the building. That's very important. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I've seen that with your with your whiteboards and everything at the end of a of a session on farm, and it really just brings it all together. And you work with the farmer instead of just preaching. You know, it's it's mm. it's definitely a good a good uh, way to go about it. And I like that motivate for behavioral change. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and it is, yeah. it is, it's something that a that that um that sum up that kind of conclusion. And even in in any system that I'm looking at, we always start off: what's good, what do we see, what's the data telling us, or the signals, and uh, what are we going to improve? So it, it's a positive train of thought. It's a positive methodology of actually getting there. The tendency in veterinary education, because it's diagnostic, and we're looking for a clinical problem, is you identify the problem, and you deliver the optimum solution based on what you believe as a professional veterinary surgeon. That, that's not the way I look at the farm system. While it's still diagnostic, but we turn the we turn the interpretation around. Yeah, because you were you were saying on the day as well about slowing down, and mm. you know I myself was kind of going, oh, there's a, I don't know, there's a, a neck rail problem, or there's there's mm. some. There, I was going straight for like the the solution and the diagnostic, mm. and you were like mm. just relax there Hazel and just you know stop jumping to conclusions and look around and I definitely felt like it was it was a really good day and every mm. vet um yeah every vet should definitely undertake a day with you out with cow signals oh we're um, gonna be busy cow yeah. signals. every yeah. vet in Ireland <laughs> I brought go. the new grads and I thought they they got a lot out of it and yeah, it definitely yeah. helped them to slow down a little bit and just have a look around because when you're a new grad it's it's just everything is like, oh, I need to get the section done and I need to get this done and I need to get that. And actually going on farm and looking yeah. around you, what's going on? Farmers will, you know, really appreciate that and think, wow, this guy or girl can mm. really step back and see things. Yeah. So I, I, and there is a time for that. I think I think the one thing we often do as well is that there's a weight of expectation almost on, uh, you know, COVETs. And, and I'm going to speak for COVETs because I can't speak for anybody else. But, but it, there's a weight of expectation to become, you know, the consultant, the herd health person and understand all this and know all this. Mm. We still have an urgent need for really good clinicians to get in their seasick animal, treat it well and, and get out of there. I mean, that, yeah. that's still a primary job focus. And I worry a little bit that we end up in a situation that this is constant demand for people in veterinary to become something that the job actually isn't. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, we have to be careful. Not every farmer, not every farm, not every situation requires a herd health consultation. Um, and I don't really even use the term herd health. It, I, I find it very, it's clunky. It's, it, 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 um, it actually distances you a lot of the time from the farmer communication. Uh, and, and I think, but again, that's my farm methodology. I'm not saying it doesn't apply within a, within an academic context. No, I do agree. We do need the, you know the the people doing the surgeries as well but yeah oh, need a, a bit of everything yeah yep. happy medium if such absolutely. a thing exists i know absolutely can we touch on w when you left vet school to go farming that was interesting 
There you go. Yeah. 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 I, I suppose. Um, was the first year at vet school so horrible that you said, oh, here, feck this, I'm getting out of it? Or what yeah, made you make I, the decision? I, I think it was probably the first year of vet school. I was probably so horrible. It wasn't, it wasn't the year. <laughs> no, I went, like, I was very devoted to, to, to the farm. I, I was very devoted to, um, I was very lucky. I, I, um, uh, my dad was very much a, um, I, I suppose, a thinking contemplative, contemplative farmer. And, he, and uh, it wasn't that he was married to it or devoted to it. He had a very good sense of it. And I enjoyed the, the concept of farming. I enjoyed the physicality of it. I enjoyed the pleasure of it. I mean, there was, uh, there was great pleasure in farming when you're not under stress and you're not, you know, it's not good. You. But, um, and I enjoyed that. And it was very secure. And I was very lucky. I had a very secure family to, to do that within. So, and I, and I had a great time in Bertine High College. And I, I subsequently ended up being a board member for about 13 years in Bertine. I have great fondness for the place. Um, and we got a great education there. Um, and that was pre, we got to remember in that time in the 80s, there was the Farm Apprenticeship Board. There, uh, there was lots of people going to Ag College. It was a real driver, even though we're, we're just, we're on the cusp of quota, which shut everything down. But we were just before that point. And farming was taking off in Ireland in the, in, in the early 80s Diffic with great difficulty because interest rates are really high. There was lots of challenges. But there was great farming enthusiasm. Like there was over 100 ag students that year in 84 wow. in, in Gartim, all residents. And we had great crack. And um, so when I went to college, I couldn't, under, it was too disciplined and too organized. I had to turn up and stuff, you know? So I found that, yeah, I found that a, bit, a, bit, a bit stupid and, and, you know, I failed at loads of exams and I did all this kind of stuff. So I, I really didn't know my arse and my elbow. And I think at 17, 18, like you really don't. Like I had yeah. my leaving cert done when I was 16. It was that, that time. So, and you had all these points and things and, and you know, so... So I, I came home to straighten myself out and my dad very sensibly after a couple of years said, get out of here, go off and do a proper degree and cut yourself on and don't be an idiot. Because he knew I wasn't going to stick it out. I didn't have the resilience, you know, at that age to, to stay with farming for an extended period. And, and we were like quota had happened. Farming had stopped. There was no real progression at that stage. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I was very lucky. John Hannon, who was the dean at the time, said, come back to veterinary. You're all right. You don't have to do the leaving search again, even though points had gone up or whatever. And he said, we'll, we'll sneak you in under the two-year rule as long as you um, as long as long you pass first year again with honours and various subjects and things. So Tommy McGeady was there at the time and Hannon and those guys. And they gave me a bit of a kick in and said, cop yourself on. And yeah, it was a valuable experience. So I have to thank my dad for that, having the wisdom to actually kick me off the farm. And, and send me off to be a, a vet. And I enjoyed it thoroughly after that. Absolutely enjoyed it, no end. Yeah, enjoyed it way too much, as Michael Doherty and a lot of the others are still there would say. I'm, always, I'm still moderately embarrassed when I meet them, you know. It was nice. <laughs> like, hello, Dean. <laughs> no such thing. There you go. Yeah. Oh, but that's a good story, isn't it? Just shows that, you know, you can go and take a break for a while and decide what you want to do and, you know, come back within reason. Yeah, um, there's lots of, yeah, you don't, and the one thing I did learn when I was um, doing all that, I spent a lot of time in milk and parrots, I fed a lot of calves, <laughs> I paired a lot of cow's feet, you see a lot of cow's feet, um, because it, at that time the farm relief service was just kicking off, mm -hmm. and the lamest guys were just, were just getting on board with five step Dutch trimming, and I learned all that from those guys, and we used to do a lot of feet, um, 
and all of that really was massively valuable. When, when I started off the, 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 then in practice, I was kind of, let me out of this great stuff. Brilliant. Very good. Very interesting. Um, just to jump back into your veterinary advisory role that you're currently in. My veterinary advisory <laughs> slash consultancy. Yeah. Um, pros and cons, I suppose. Um, it, are you glad that you made the move out of veterinary or... I mean, I personally, I think there's a great need for that type of thing, what you're doing, you know, to help farmers understand what the industry standards are and, and where they should be. Because when you're working hard in your business, it's very hard to work on your business. So any regrets or any pros or cons from that point of view? Um, I regret, I, I think, I suppose when I left practice, I was 40 and um, I was definitely, I would certainly say anyone looking at me burnt out, overworked. You know, we worked incredibly hard um, to our detriment. We just, again, it was very much kind of the attitude of practice. And I do miss the, the cut and thrust of practice. And practice is very enjoyable. It's great fun. I didn't, I, I really enjoyed lots of that, except for when you're just knackered and, and you know, everything gets, gets a little bit on top of you. Um, what do I regret about it? Um, I completely... I got to the point where I am now with no, I suppose, no mentoring, no training, no, no, no one telling me how to do that job. I'd say you and Yan probably would be the greatest influences in terms of education towards it. But I'm, but I'm self-taught and self-taught takes a long time. And you make buckets of little mistakes along the way and uh, you could have avoided a lot of those. And I think there's probably an opportunity now if we really thought about it, we could actually train people really well for that role in a very specialist sense. I'm not talking about just, you know, kind of just do a, a basic diploma or something. I think you could really, really focus on giving people the, the toolkit to be good consultants right across the board uh, in yeah. terms of within the veterinary profession on that communication behavior. So, so that's the bit I would regret about it. It's, it, it's a slow learning process. Um, the real good things about it is I got to travel a huge amount. A lot of that was done the king guys and all that work and all tech and a few others so you can see lots of different countries and different systems any country that sticks out as a fav, particular favorite yeah i i've done an awful lot of work in scandinavia a lot of people know me for that now at this stage i spent a lot of time in sweden i have very good friends there with not a huge dairy country like there's three hundred and forty thousand cows but they're in kind of unique situations and like they are a, almost, almost everybody wants to break out singing Dancing Queen, but just not quite, you know, <laughs> it's, it, they're very reserved. They, they're the most, um, they're the most reserved, fun people you can come across. And they're the most uh, wealthy communists you can deal with, you know, so they, they, they have a great <laughs> attitude towards, uh, towards life. And I really enjoy that. So Scandinavia has been really good. Um, where else have I gone? That's been really interesting. I spent a um, I visited China a good few times. Um, interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm not saying it's all good. I'm not saying it's all bad, but Asia is different and tough. Um, yeah, the Scandies are kind of unique. France is fun as well. France has got great farming. They they just farm. They farm with red wine and a cigarette. Like it's just great. They just have a good attitude <laughs> and lots of small dairies and nice cows and yeah. Beautiful countryside. France is amazing. Amazing. Um, Very good. Best farming countryside in the world? UK. No question. The UK? Beautiful, beautiful, not, beautiful. not Ireland. It, it, UK's picture postcard. 
Yeah, uh, okay. Ireland has got that slight edge to it that kind of says, you know, it, 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 take me on if you think you're strong enough. You know, yeah. there's a little bit of that to it. And New Zealand is a bit like that as well. It's kind of, you know, there's no room here for, for people. people who, <laughs> oh, so it's, there's it's, a few rushes thrown in here and there, you know. Yeah, and, I've been to yeah. Eastern Europe, Russia. Yeah, that's all different. I've, I've had bizarre experiences where I've ended up on farms in Lithuania, like these, you know, you could end up, there'd be 10,000 cows or 5,000 cows, whatever it is. And you arrive on the farm at six in the morning and you go into the office and the first thought of the day is, let's get some vodka in. So they ask you, do you want 50 grams or 100 grams? It's in by weight, you know? And, you know, do you want a bit of orange juice with that considering it's breakfast? And <laughs> you throw the vodka in and you go out into the snow and, and, you know, and off you go. So you have all those bizarre travel experiences that really augment the, the, the whole thing and you really understand mm. the culture. You know, it's, it's just have you been to the Middle East, you know, like to Saudi or Dubai or... You know, I haven't actually. Of... It's an area with all the companies I work with. Some of them were, were had had a lot of influences there, but it's the area I actually haven't been in at all. I know nothing about the the Middle East, and that's mm-hmm. the one that often people say, "Oh, I've been to Saudi, even to Al Marai, and whatever." But no, I, I like the the super big dairies I would have seen would have been uh, primarily uh, Asian, uh, Asian, Russian, uh, American. Mm-hmm. Very, Very well traveled. Yeah. Very jealous. You'll have to write a book, Martin, so we can read all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I feel like there might be some good stories in there now. <laughs> there, 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 is, there is some interesting stories and there's sad ones and there's happy ones and there's funny ones. And, exactly. Yeah, we've, well, we've had well, perfect great. for a book. <laughs> yeah, And perfect really, really... for our later questions. So maybe keep one of them. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 you will, know. Ha- we, we will hang on to that. I've, I've had some just fantastic times with great people. Uh, yeah, super people I've met along the way involved in farming and great, just great people. Yeah. I was actually going to say when you said Russia, I was like, oh, did they offer you vodka? And then, no, they did. <laughs> so. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. pretty much. It's vodka city. Very yeah. good, very good. Um, what are the biggest challenges facing the veterinary industry at the moment, in your opinion, Martin? Okay, I'm not going to say the usual suspects, okay, because we know about AMR and labor and getting paid and, you know, vets staying in the career and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and all that is there. there. There is no question. I really put up the challenge of relevance. Can your large animal vet remain relevant to the farming movement? Okay. And when you really look at it, when I see in countries that, that have been to, and again, this is my opinion. I'm not saying I've got a fact for this, Hazel. Um, but farmers they're really good agricultural communities including in ireland ireland will have like your top farmers in ireland will rank in the top farmers in the world we have nothing and this is one thing that really struck me we i came from ireland into veterinary environments and farming environments thinking oh god we're the poor relation first of all the standard of our technical ability in modern vets is way superior to a hell of a lot of vets i've seen abroad huge research uh, our willingness to get in and give it a lash. I, I, and, I, and again, I'm not trying to sound uh, oversimplistic about that, but our willingness to, to brave it out. And particularly, mm-hmm. I suppose, from my generation, we're a little bit like that, you know, and, and great willingness to do it. Um, and our farmers certainly really can operate at an incredibly high, high, high level. The farmers outstrip the vets a lot of the time. They're way ahead of you in terms of where they've gone, in terms of technology, knowledge, what they want, what they need. 
And often we're trundling behind going, Asher, yeah, we kind of get around to that next year or year after or five years time. And we come up then with these great schemes and we think we're fantastic. And guys, they've gone past you again. Move on. So I meet a lot of farmers who are way past, way past considering that they're very relevant. Yeah. They're, They're purveyors of drugs that they need, some services that they need. That's it. And we'll pay them to do that as their professional or whatever it is when we do it. But you know what? If all the vets disappeared out of this area in the morning, there's a hell of a lot of stuff we sort out for ourselves. So we got to be careful. The veterinary profession has to be careful that we don't lose our relevance. And we can sit in our bubble saying we're very important and animal welfare and we're the people and we're the only people to do it. And they trust us so much. Be careful about that. When you keep saying that to yourself all the time, you'll, you'll believe it. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily say it's the reality. So I'd urge caution on relevance. That's relevance. actually funny that you say that when I, back in the past life, when I worked for a pharmaceutical company and we had a new mastitis drug, you know, and I would have vets ringing me saying that my farmer has come in asking about this, you know? So like the farmers had heard about it before I'd even gotten around to talk to the vets about it. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and it doesn't and, make the farmers and, right, and they don't have the right knowledge, no, and they don't have the right way but, of doing but, it, and they don't. But they're understand. looking for knowledge, you know what I mean? They're looking for knowledge, and they're looking for what's new and what's out there, and they want to be um, ahead, I guess. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I was dealing with a farmer in Ireland lately, um, a good guy. Well, we're talking about he was doing some fertility analysis, right? And we're looking at we do this for for or we do this for a number of clients, and so. We just don't use what's there because it's not enough for a lot of these farms because a lot of the stuff we talk about and even that's talking about reports and stuff, someone coming from ICBF. And, you know, we're going, okay, that's not telling us what we need to know. And this guy presented me with, you know, Spreadsheet City on all the stuff he'd analyzed, all the information he had. Now, there's a lot of cows involved. And, you know, that turned into me looking at that for a couple of hours uh, looking at another analysis, coming back to him, Zoom call, you know, how do we go through all this? How do we look at all this? And, you know, really getting into significant detail. And that's what he wanted. He was not interested at all. Like when it came to, well, what are we going to treat the cows for, you know, with fermicidus? Oh, we just set up a protocol. We'll follow that. It doesn't work with anything. But I'll know that from the data. So you know, we, we don't worry about stuff. So very, very different. And that's, that's a unique situation. Yeah. That will become more repeatable as you start getting into these uh, super areas. So, so based yeah. on what all everything that you just said there, Martin, like what would be your advice then would say to to vets or new or new grad vets or students coming out who are going into large animal practice, like into a, a time where the industry, I suppose, is is changing quite dramatically and you know, we'll probably see quite a lot of changes in, in the near future. What, what is your advice on how they will maintain their relevance, as it were? Yeah, sure. I, or I, any I, tips? I think, yeah, I, well, look, I think the first thing for, for, for new grads coming out and, and for people starting off in practice, I think, you know, you have to get your clinical skills under your belt to build your authority. They, unless you can be a vet, it's very hard to you know, transpose other information on top of that. And I, and I think the one thing, get those skills. And also that helps build your personal confidence, your confidence in your own profession, your abilities and so on, and helps your, with, with your communication. Like there is no finer way to learn communication than to have a disaster, but communicate that well with a farmer and, communi- and communicate your way out of it for good or bad. And you'll get it wrong four times out of 10 or five times out of 10. 
but you learn from every one of those experiences. So it's never going to be easy, but take each one of those experiences as a learning experience. Yeah, you have to do that. And that requires a lot of resilience, a lot of personal resilience. So you have to work on your personal resilience, particularly if you're a high empath. And I think quite a lot of vets who are qualifying are very empathetic people. And that means they actually, they can flounder sometimes when they're really challenged by very strong red type people who are really challenged. And they're not comfortable with that. So I think you have to work on that a little bit. I think the next step, don't get too bogged down in trying to sort out all the farm performance and all the cell count and all the fertility mm. stuff until you have the language, until you have the understanding of what's truly happening on farms. So give yourself a break here, but start to learn that. And that might mean you need to rock up to a few discussion groups and you might have to shut up and sit in the back and stop trying to tell everyone how great you are. And you know, you actually need to listen and listen to the music. And that's something that we often fail to do. We don't listen to the music enough. It's the old trip to the Moor Park Open Day, you know, the grass and society. Um, and stand in the back and, and have a listen. And you suddenly hear where these guys are going. Vet standing in the crowd at the Moor Park Open Day is incredibly valuable because you understand where a huge chunk of the industry will go. Whether you agree with Chagas or not, it's irrelevant. The driver is Chagas, EBI, all that thing has driven the Irish veterinary industry in a particular direction. And if you don't get that, you won't be relevant. So you, you need to understand that. You need to know the language and the words people use. You need to know that. But that's after you've built your stable core that you can take that on board. Mm. Is, is that a reasonable, a reasonable expectation? I think that's um, incredible advice. Work on your resilience. I mean, if something we should all be doing anyway, but from the point of view that, that you've pointed out there, you know, once you get your clinical skills um and communication is key in life everywhere i mean everything that fails usually is as a result of communication oh yeah fa failures you know um yeah so i think though that's those are great points what do you think hazel yeah and i i suppose as as a, you know i'm eight years qualified now and i still struggle with going on a farm and taking all the data and trying to do everything at once. And, and mm. it is about breaking things down and just, you know, maybe there's a problem on the day focusing on that and then maybe giving a phone call the next day and seeing, okay, look at your ICBF records then. And, you know, I think sometimes I know I can go in kind of way too kind of broad and I need to maybe just focus a little bit. And I, I think resilience as a new grad is one of the most important and look not everything is going to go to plan but as I think as Martin and Michelle you've said like communication as long as you can communicate and know the right people to maybe ring for help and all that then I think yeah yeah and, and talk to people it's, it's amazing too mm. with farmers um the vast majority of farmers you always have your couple of gems who really don't want you to succeed but the vast majority of people you deal with want you to do well. They want you to do, not just for their animal's sake, for your sake, for their sake, for everybody's sake. Everybody wants positive outcomes and they will really help and try for you to get there unless, unless you project a personality that's completely unacceptable to them. So the way you jump out of that car is incredibly important. And, and I think that's one thing that I would say even to, to new grads, anyone starting off, if you don't get out of that car with the with the with the, the willing with demonstrating a willingness to do this and de demonstrating a willingness that you want their animal to get better, 
you will consistently fail in their eyes regardless of how successful you are. And, and I think it's, it's enormously important because, and also that movement, if you jump out and you have that vigor, that interest, you know, grab the glove, get on the wellies, get yourself disinfected, you know, and you do that with a level of enthusiasm rather than complaining and whinging about it. And you move forward that way. Anything that happens after that is a bonus. Yeah. Because people yep. have had an initial incredibly positive experience by just meeting you alone. And that's often the bit that they remember. And yep. I will still go back to farms today that I haven't been on in 15, 20 years for ex-clients of mine. And, you, you know, you say to a person is well got in an area. And that's fine. But actually, there's, no, there's very few. There's probably, there's probably a handful of people that I can walk into and not have a chat about a cup of tea. And they'll, and they'll remind me of the bad things that happened and the good things that, that, uh, that happened. I won't remember. And they'll remember, remember it sketchily. But they'll never forget your attitude. Yeah. They'll never forget that. So if you can jump out of that car, even however wrecked you are, or however browned off you are, or however boring it might seem, or however dirty the situation is, if you get out with, with saying, you are the most important person to me at this moment, and your animal is the most important to me at this moment you will just what you do after that is actually doesn't really work. yeah i think we had a similar advice from an equine vet before where he said you know <clears throat> when things are going wrong on on farm or in on stud farms or whatever the farmer and the stud owner is you know is potentially under incredible amount of stress so if you can just pull up and get out of your jeep like you said and just say how can i help or i'm here to help you know um that so yeah. I think that kind of lends to that as well. You know, be be the person that they are like. Oh, thank God, someone is here with a good attitude who can um, help yeah. this situation. And we so, do that even in sales training. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of sales training in companies, and I got involved in sales training because I, t- I knew technically what was going on, but also it was all a lot of that stuff. And getting sales guys to you know calm down, slow down, take <laughs> days. You know, stop the car before you go in, get yourself organized, get your phone, get all your messages away from you, uh, you know, get your details, know what you're doing and go in and actually talk to that person and have that level of confidence already constructed in yourself. And even that little moment, even when you're very busy doing a call, sometimes you actually, from a vet's point of view, stop, take a breath, calm down, get your head in the right place. And even if it's a difficult client, you can go in and handle the situation better because just because you've backed up the truck a little bit yeah i used to always take a couple of seconds maybe just to be like okay Hayes, go and i'd get out of the car and be like hello john how are you and i could be having the worst day but look later on maybe in the conversation i might lose my enthusiasm but i always i would always try and how are you what's the story and i think it's important and as, as well like if sometimes if i had if i was passing a shop and I was feeling like really low blood sugar or just really wrecked, I'd run in, get something and then refuel to go to the farm. Because I do think your first impression when you get out of the car is a, is a big thing. Yeah, so. A little bit of organization. And like, I'm not a super organized person, but what I found was I, I, I just had habits in my car, which were positive. Make sure that, you know, your section stuff was always, you had enough and just check that every day and your basic surgery stuff there was enough there it's in one box you could pull it out so every action people saw with you was a positive action yeah, um, yeah and they move they move with you then they, they, they help you they really help you in that situation great advice 
great advice. So Martin, tell us what has been your biggest life lesson? This is a very deep one now. Oh man, how, how long do we have? <laughs> uh, life lessons. <laughs> no. Life lessons. Uh, okay, I, I haven't really thought, okay. First of all, I suppose within the veterinary and practice context, context and a professional context, learn five new things every year. That was that was sort of a little goal I set myself a very long time. And I know you can go to all these courses and motivation. And I like LinkedIn really busts my chops and a lot of these things because I'm constantly told that to be fantastic and read 15 books and write in your notebook every day and, and all these things. And that's fine. And everybody can do portions of this, but I'm not just that organized. I'm not that disciplined person. But the one thing I said every year, every 12 months, learn five new things. And that might be um, uh, very simple. How to use the lookup on Excel. That could be one, right? It could be how to do a left space that amazing in a different way. Uh, it could be, uh, I've never done uh, bull soundness examinations. Let's go and do the course and do that. Start that. Um, you know, or it could be, I want to really learn how to, I don't know, niche or whatever. It doesn't matter. But learn five new things every year and put them into your bank. Put them into your bank. And you will use that bank as you go through, as each situation challenges you and new opportunities arise, the bank becomes really important. So, 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 so that's a personal thing. It's not 10, it's not 15, it's not five a month, it's five a year. So I'm not, let's not put on any too much pressure. But if you learn five a year, you'll become good at them. You time and you'll practice it and you go over it again, you do it again, and you'll, and you'll meet five of those surgeries or 10 of those surgeries or whatever it happens. Um, and so I that, probably wasn't diligent enough at it. Sorry, Michelle, go ahead. So that was from a uh, professional um, point of view. Is that what you mean? Or is that your personal life? Um, it, I suppose professionally, that, that that's a constant theme. Um, life lessons otherwise. Um, Changing yourself for other people is always a mistake. I, it's never worked for me. I could never fake it. <laughs> or me. You know, or me. It just, you can only fake it so long, you know? Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, you are, you are who you are, what you are. And, and if you can't revel in it like a, like a pig in dirt, you know, that, 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 that's the way it goes. And it, it doesn't mean you're, you're happy, glappy and jolly. And not by any manner of means. But yeah, just just get on with it. Just stop worrying about it. It's, you can't do a lot about it, really. <laughs> That's the way it is. Mm. And I'm not, again, I'm not oversimplifying. All of us need help at different times and need a reset. And I do have very valuable friends that I use for reset that, that actually sit down and go, okay, what's happening? And, and we go through that process. And I'm lucky that I've learned that. And I learned that through coaching and um I, I did a whole series of integrity coaching when I worked for a particular company and I was involved actively in coaching. And those things really, really do help. So um, I, I'm very, very lucky. I've got companions, friends, uh, people I know very well, both in, within veterinary and outside of veterinary. And, and we do, we, we contribute to each other's mutual reset. And I think that's important. You've got to do that a couple of times a year. Free therapy. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, as I'm trying to, to call it, I call therapy terrapins, right? Because I can relate to it as a, as a vet. So I, I always imagine if I'm going to therapy, they, there's a terrapin sitting on the couch with its little paddles waving at you. <laughs> and that's my, so yes, I call my favorite consultative friends terrapins. And uh, there's a little bit of pre-terrapin in it, yeah. And, and 
it's not about revealing everything about yourself or being that open person that's so open you're very vulnerable but i think i think you have to yeah you have to go through resets particularly when you're when you're dealing with a lot of people a lot of different things and you're being challenged always i i never get a day a day doesn't go by for me that i'm not challenged so therefore i have to be up for it mm, that's good that probably lends itself into then i suppose martin it's in a similar vein what is it that you do to unwind and and to maintain your own well-being i suppose you touched on it there with the reset is that it or do you have other little things that you do for yourself um um, I probably talk too much. I think that's part of my, <laughs> I, I, I quite, I, I, it's funny, the part of my work involves what I would say is performance because you do, I do a lot of talks, I do a lot of presentations, I do a lot of work that way. Mm. And that's actually quite, um, even though it can be really tiring and exhausting, it, it's actually part of my, my brain sorting itself out. And I always have, have this thing that I should be able to present, I should know my subject enough that I should be able to present without the use of any assistant or aids or PowerPoints or whatever it is. So actually, I find that relaxing if I do it that way, which sounds bizarre. Um, what do I do otherwise? I, I, I'm a good walker when I get going. I will disappear for lots and lots of kilometers into the woods. Um, oh. I, I, I gave up. Um, said it, I used to do it at Norfolk when I was younger. I was a very, very avid hill walker, sea kayaker. I used to do a lot of sea kayaking off the west coast of Ireland and all that stuff. And... Um, Again, I got some some great friends. I've lost a, a lot of that, lost the skill of it. But I do like the isolation of that. I'm I, I'm a lone walker. I'm not into walking in, in massive groups or, or, anything, or anything like that. So, um, and I don't, I, it's a non-phone experience. I really don't want any interference, nor do I take photographs or I don't record it for posterity because it's my, my posterity. Nobody else is bugger off. <laughs> you know. so, so you so, won't yeah, be that's... listening to the vet space podcast on these on walks. your walk i'm a bit of a disaster i'm supposed to be one of these people who's really tuned in hazel a lot of the time and i do listen to certain pod- podcasts i listen to but they're always non-agricultural non-veterinary related <laughs> generally non-business related as well so so i'm a bit of a disaster i'm not okay there's a lot of stuff that goes right past me and mm-hmm. I don't see it. And I used to worry about it. I used to used to be really, oh my God, everyone else is doing things and I'm not. And I should be famous and amazing and so on. And I just don't have the I don't have the thing. Just doesn't just doesn't work for me. Uh, and there's nothing wrong I with it. You're pretty famous work. now, Martin. I'm famous because again, yeah. well, fame, fame is very old, very old. <laughs> again, that's a horrible word, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just ended up standing in a lot of cold halls talking about things. I think it's more than anything else. Oh well. Really, yeah. Um. Okay, let's come on back to the funniest veterinary moment. Funniest veterinary moment. Apart from drinking vodka with the Lithuanian. Rush. It's kind oh, yeah. of a little bit of a drinking thing as well. I, I really shouldn't That's have fine. an animal an animal funny moment. I think what I'm going to say is a surreal, bizarre moment. That's, we're down for those ones, yeah. Surreal and bizarre. Um, I ended up in, I'm going to make this sound exotic as if I'm massively interesting, but it's not <laughs> as interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I was in China and I ended up in, in uh, Inner Mongolia. Uh, I don't know the difference between inner and outer. Someone with geographical knowledge can help with that. But it was very far away from civilization as such, or a civilized part, part of the world. And I had to go and see this herd of cows. And there was 200 um, cemental or flecky cows in the middle of this vast open plain in China in cubicles. 
like this amazing cubic house is built with sand cubicles and there was, there was vets and there was workers and there was people and there was maize and there was cows and everything. And I met this kind of local Chinese dude who owned all this. <laughs> and the way you own something in China, apparently, and again, I can be corrected on this, is that the government allows you to use a whole chunk of land and that you are the farmer then because everyone owns the land in China. But he also had a couple of hotels, he had a couple of restaurants. <laughs> this guy was the local <laughs> entrepreneur. So he did big Mercedes and I hopped into the passenger seat because I was a special guest. And he drove across like the plains of Mongolia at high speed <laughs> on the grass, like in the murk, with an entourage, <laughs> a couple of buses of people behind who were like the guys, right? <laughs> so that was fine. And we went off to a restaurant at 12 o'clock in the day for lunch. And lunches in China are spectacular because they're hugely entertaining and loads of food and, and people really demonstrate their wealth and their value. Uh, with this and you sit at a particular point in the round table and the boss guy sits there and i i don't have a word of mandarin nothing and a very good friend of me ian Leith, who works for msd actually out there now he used to work with um uh, keenan's and all tech out in china that's how i got to know ian ian is from galway but he's a fluent mandarin speaker a uh, very very smart guy very good business guy so he was kind of filling in he was doing the translating and that and uh, we ended up at, at the table. And a habit in China then is they toast a lot with with, with uh, baijiu, which is a, a very, very strong kind of rice-based alcohol. It's just, it tastes like acetone, like nail polish remover. It's really, but this stuff is like hundreds of dollars a bottle. So every few minutes, anyway, our, our host would stand up and toast all the people from Ireland. and the one <laughs> We'd all have to knock this back. So by half 12, everybody was absolutely polluted. <laughs> so in came, in came the local pop star, the local Mongolian pop star, this beautiful um, Ch- Chinese lady came in and sang an amazing Chinese pop song. And people were crying and they were falling down. And everything was fantastic. <laughs> then the guy in the kitchen came up and he had to sing because he had a beautiful voice. This is just amazing. And he sang and he was just brilliant and he sang song. And we were applauding and toasting and cheering and this was great. We had a clue what was happening. You know, more food, there was more wine, and the whole lot. And then, of course, we had to sing. So Ian, unfortunately, Ian is, um, not unfortunately, Ian was a music scholar in Trinity. So he plays the organ tremendously well. And he also, he was a choral master. He sang with Anuna and so on. And he, he wow. played the chieftains in Beijing. So he said, right, what will we sing? And I said, about all I can remember is Molly Malone. We'll manage that. So I started singing Molly Malone with the gusto and, and Ian joined in, in parts. Like he was singing seconds. <laughs> and we had them mesmerized. Like this was just fantastic. And of course we got in more into this and just, just wonderful. So but, but, but by the end of it, we were in a drunken mess in the middle of somewhere in Mongolia, having no veterinary relevance whatsoever. The guy signed a deal to buy endless minerals from the company that Ian was working for because he just thought we were just great. Brilliant, great. <laughs> And we nearly, I nearly died. Like I nearly passed away uh, driving back at around three o'clock in the day in 40 degree heat in a bad minibus, totally dehydrated, drunk, hungover. But I managed to remember all the words. Just fantastic achievement. So probably one of the most bizarre, surreal, crazy, fun experiences involving your one's veterinary career. I mean, held in such high esteem by these happy mongolian farmers great guys amazing anyway that's oh. a that's a long-winded you got, got downgraded to the boss on the way home did you martin sorry did you get downgraded to the boss on the way home yeah actually we got there by by hilarious car um 
they, they had driven us from some airport the previous night where we got stopped at a checkpoint and threatened by Chinese army because we were, we were dodgy with whatever it was. It was an American girl uh, with me and they were fascinated with the US passport at the time. It was a single lane highway. So the guy to get away from the trucks at 140 kilometers an hour would just scoot off the highway and just go around them. Uh, I nearly died. And the bus journey seemed to be much shorter about coming back for some reason. <laughs> I wonder why. I, I don't know why, but it was a hell of a lot shorter coming back. Anyway, veterinary can take you everywhere. Uh, Martin, you 100% have to write that book. Sure, there's going to be way too many stories. <laughs> Yeah, like what there's a lot mean? of crack yeah, yeah yeah a lot of crazy stuff yeah definitely yeah. martin's cow travel across the continent maybe we could shorten yeah, it yeah i've got to reserve that martin. for my retirement phase though, you know yeah so. <laughs> well you should get it writing now life life solutions it. by martin life Kavanaugh. solutions instead of cow solutions yeah. yeah i sure look there'll be lots of next chapters i i certainly think uh yeah we'll, hopefully in the next 10 years we'll do a few more different things and mm. yeah we will have some fun. Well, there's Very definitely good. something about you, Martin. You're you're always kind of thinking outside the box a little bit and trying to do things a little bit differently. And and you're a, a wonderful podcast guest. I must say. There you go. Thank I really you. enjoyed having you on. <laughs> One very last thing. I I and this is often the problem when you fall outside of the box a lot. And and this is probably my experience and a bit of a life lesson. Often, um, you know the the pioneers get killed by the Indians and the settlers make the money. So, so it's great to be a pioneer at certain times, but <laughs> you got to rein it in with the reality of your existence. <laughs> and that can be a little bit, a little bit challenging. So mm. outside the box is great, but just be careful. You don't fall off the edges. Mm. Yeah. Well, very wise, for, wise words out of you, Martin, all night. I've actually made loads of notes for myself. Oh, <laughs> I've made notes too. Okay. Did, did you? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's so good. I could use that tomorrow in my job. Oh my God, I need to remember that. Okay, notes are overrated. Notes are really overrated. I never, that, that was a problem I had in college. Well, I, I will remember notes. them, but I, I, um, I felt he said some very, quite profound things there. So I wanted to make sure that I made note of them. Very profound. But, um, Thank you so much, Martin, for joining us. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, pleasure. Martin. And I, I hope I yeah, I, I hope you get a bit of fun out of it. And yeah, I hope people listen to it and enjoy it. So take care. Thank you for listening to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. And a big thank you to this episode's sponsor, which was VetSave um, Buying Group. All details of VetSave can be found in the show notes and on our website. Don't forget to like, subscribe, give us five stars, tag us when you're listening to the podcast and just generally spread the word about what we're doing here at VetSafe Ireland.